You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. worship team. Let's come on, give it up for our worship team. I don't know. We might, we might have to drop a CD. This, this is real stuff right here. And I know we have some writers on our worship team and our musicians. I, I think we can do it. So I'm going to put my wife on notice. Amen. Can we touch and agree? But never mind, I'll keep that joke for later. <laughs> oh, God. Happy Mother's Day to all our mothers. Man, let's just give it up for our moms real quick. Yes. Happy Mother's Day. Man, I am, I wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be here without our mothers, amen? You know, Mother's Day, it is changeably the second and the third most celebrated holiday known throughout history. I did the study. I Googled it. You know, if it says it on Google, it means it's right. But the stats are there that Mother's Day is the most celebrated, third most celebrated day throughout the year. I'm kind of jealous because Father's Day, we don't get the credence that Mother's Day get. We don't get the shopping aisles. We don't get the, you know, the bath and body only have like one row right here. Come on, guys. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You walk in the bath and body, you know, we want to at least get a, at least, I'll say that sermon for June, you know, for Father's Day, amen. But today is Mother's Day. And so to all the moms who birthed children, those who stepped in place, who was a surrogate mother to those mothers who passed or mothers were absent, you know, thank you for placing that role and, and raising young men and young women to the, all the aunts or the annies and the mimis and the ggs and all of the other in between we give it up to you you know many of you don't know um i'm not from the carolinas i actually grew up in a different country called texas <laughs> actually i grew up in the south side of waco texas there you go okay keep it down security And growing up in the country of Texas, you know, we grew up in a generation, I'm from a generation where we grew up, where we stayed outside all day long. This generation don't know what, the, they don't know how to play outside, right? You know, we, we drunk out of the, the water spigot. Y'all remember that? You know, you turn your little water hose, you go like this, you know. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And if you have a water hose, you have to, y'all know? Okay. See, we grew up in a different generation than kids these days where their Xboxes and Playstations, that's $600 for, for a unit. No, amen? Not in my house. In Jesus' name. But, you know, we sit outside all day long. We, we play games like, you know, hide and seek, freeze tag, mother may I. Y'all remember that? Man, that's, that's how we, you know, we, you know, we grew up in that generation. And in that time frame, you know, I grew up, you know, in the hood, and so we didn't have a baseball and a bat. We, we played stickball. That's because we, we got a tennis ball and a broom handle stick, and that's how we played. Because we just, we, we, that's how we played. We just didn't have the economics to pay for a ball and a bat. But, you know, we played stickball and football and basketball. But 
Growing up in that generation, which I think is kind of crossed over to this generation some, learning how to play ball, you had to learn how to talk junk. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can't play ball without talking junk. They go hand in hand, right? It's like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> Come on now. See, talking junk is all a part of the game. See, talking junk was where you had to get into the headspace of your opponent to kind of throw them off the game just a little bit. And see, talking junk, you had to learn how to talk junk because this is, is vital about living in the hood. So you lived in the hood, you had to learn how to talk smack. And you had to learn how to back it up. And see, we talked about everything. You know, we talked about, you know, someone's game. We talked about someone's shoes. We talked about somebody's outfit. We talked about somebody's brother, sister, Cousins and fathers. Not here. I'm hold on now. Hold on. See, these, these are basic survival skills of how to live in the hood. So if you if you ever go down a hood and you play in a course, like we talk about street ball, you just, just know that basic survival skills is learning how to talk junk. But if you want the game to end quick. If you want the game to be shut down, you put two words together, it will shut everything down. If you ever say these two words, I promise you, I promise you, the game is over. There's something about these two words that you never, ever, 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 ever want to come out your mouth while playing some type of game. If you're playing a game and you're in the streets and you're in the hood and you put two words together, it's a wrap. These two words is, yo... Mama, I promise you, if you say your mama and you playing ball, oh, it's a wrap. Like, look, we, we shutting the thing down. We about to go. We about to scrap. I'm sorry. You talking about my mom. Don't nobody talk about my mama. I don't care if you know her. Don't talk about my mama. These are fighting words. I promise you, these are basic survival skills. Basic survival skills. There's something about a mother and how they shape the lives of their children. There's something about a mom who carries their children from place to place and just, and my wife sings a song, I carried you for nine months. That's when they won, I'm not gonna sing it. Nine months I carried you, amen. There's something about a mother and the nurturing spirit of a mom that many of us are indebted for. It doesn't matter if it was your aunt, your grandmother, your Mimi, or even somebody that raised you that wasn't a biological mom. It's just that investment of a, of a mother, that nurturing aspect of a mom, that embrace of a hug from your mother is so much more different from anyone else. Which brings me to a point of passage in Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. It is in the New Testament. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And in my Bible, it, it says that it's Timothy's faith and heritage. So this is the subtitle to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And it says this. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience 
as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of, the, uh, laying of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Let me just go back to verse number five. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, and now it is in your mother Eunice, and that same faith that was in your grandmother and your mother is now in you, Timothy. And so today, mothers, we say thank you for the faith that you carry from generation to generation. It is the faith of mothers that has nurtured the faith of us today. So I'm grateful for the mothers who stood in the gap for their children. The faith that I begin to lean into where I know that now as I go to church Sunday after Sunday, that is why I'm here today. It is the faith that was molded and shaped by so many mothers. And so today as we continue our summer series called Spiritual Warfare, I am grateful that our moms have taught us how to fight the good fight of faith. John Williams last week talked about the spiritual swordsman, and what he was talking about, he talked about how we fight battles that is not of this world, that it's not against flesh and blood, it's, not, it's against principalities and rulers of darkness. He talked about when we fight this spiritual warfare, it is in close proximity with one another. He brought out a good point that many times when we see this, this, this picture of Ephesians chapter 6, we think about a, a swordsman where he pulls out a big sword, but no, he, John talked about last week that the sword that, um, that, that's written in Ephesians is really a small dagger, which means it's close in proximity. That means you have to have hand-to-hand -hand combat. See, we fight a war between good and evil. We fight a war that is against light and darkness, that we are called to be encouraged by the Lord, our God, our Savior. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. We are called to endure the hardness because we are more than conquerors. So you can't believe in the redemption of the cross and not believe in the purpose of the cross. They go hand in hand. See, the redemption of the cross and the purpose of the cross, the purpose of the cross was for us to have to defeat the enemy. When Christ gave up his life on that hill called Calvary, the enemy lost. So today we're drawing a line. We're drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know what? We are more than conquerors. If you go back into the very end of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation. In the book of Revelation, if you go back to the 20th chapter, and it tells us that we win. So I'm going to remind you today, with this in mind, any spiritual, fight, any spiritual battle that you are fighting right now, we win. I want you to know that. 
So let's start with the, with the end in mind, knowing that we win, regardless of what our situations may be. We win. So it doesn't matter where you're at right now. It doesn't matter if you're up against the ropes of life. Just know that in the end, we win. And I was thinking about the spiritual warfare. I said, let me go back into a study in the book of Judges where we're going to have most of our, actually the home, the home scripture of our, our, our scripture reading for today. And it's talking about a battle that is very popular in scripture. So Judges chapter 7, I'll be lifting up verses 1 through 9. And this is what the word of God reads. So Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of the Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, that they may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Let me just paint the picture real quick. Gideon's about to get into a battle. He's about to get into a war. And God speaks to him and says, Gideon, you have too many people with you. I'm like, oh, hold up. I'm about to get into a fight. I have too many people, and you want to send some of my soldiers home? I'm like, am I hearing from God correctly? Because I'm calling everybody. Like, you know, when we were growing up, you, you know, you get in a fight, you go home and get your brother, your sisters, your cousins, and we coming out the house, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to grab my cat and everything else, right? <laughs> There's no way that I'm stepping to a fight that just going, God says, you know, I need you to get rid of some people. Like, no, God, I need you to add some more. Can you multiply this for me? God tells Gideon, you have too many people with you. Let's see what he says in verse number, verse number four. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not? God, forget plan A, plan B, plan C. Now we're at plan D, God. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup the water in their hands and lap it up like, with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put those who kneel down and drink with their mouths from the stream, in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns and the other warriors and sent them home, but kept the 300 men with him. The Midianites camped in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. 
God is telling you to get up, get down, and he has given you victory over your trial and your situation. So if I had a title, my message for today is that my mother taught me. My mama taught me how to fight. My mother taught me. So we have to begin to be, be, begin to look at what we see here in Scripture. For many of us, as we're going through this spiritual warfare, I believe that many of us are battling our faith. Right? Because if you're questioning about whether or not can you make it through this next season of your life, then you are questioning your faith about what God is doing in the midst of your trials and your situation. See, faith is the most important thing that we possess as believers. Our faith is what brought us to Christ. Our faith is what keeps us in Christ. And our faith is what's going to continue to go before us as we walk it out with Christ. I believe this, that we need faith the most when fear is the loudest. See, we need faith the most when fear is the loudest. When we begin to see that, that, the, that, that fear is telling us that we can't do this or we're not supposed to do this or, my golly, that you, you're, you're not equipped or you're not qualified. This, this is fear telling you that you're not, but God is saying, my child, yes, you are. God is saying, do you know who you are? Do you know who you represent? That I am with you, that I have never left you. We need faith the most when everything else is running against us. Jerubal, in verse 1 and 2, says this. This is Gideon. And all the troops who were with them got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of the Midian was north of them, the hill of Moriah in the valley. This is the spring of Herod. I like to look up words. And as I was studying, I'm like, God, why in the world did you call Gideon to camp by a spring of Herod? And if you look up the spring of hair and what it means, it means trembling. It means fear, right? And so Gideon is walking and he, he sets camp in a place that is called fear. I want you to get that. His whole army is camped at a place called fear. See, camp means that you are abiding, that you're dwelling there, that you are, that you are residing in that, in that place. So let me make it plain. Many of us are living in a, in a posture, in a place of fear. That we are not just visiting it and leaving, no, that we are there, that we are stagnant. That we are in a posture of fear, that we are abiding, that we're growing, that we're walking every single day back to a place called fear. How can an army of 300 begin to take what God has told him to take, camping in a place called fear? See, the Midianites were north of them below the hill of Moriah in the valley. And if you go back into the hill of Morai, this, the name by itself, Morai, means teacher. So Gideon and his army is camping at a, pl a place called Fear. And his adversary 
is at a hill called teacher. Let me pull it together. God has placed you before your enemies to teach you some things. God has placed you in a place where he wants to teach you some things. And the person who's going to teach you may not look like the person that you think who should be teaching you. There's some lessons that God wants us to receive from those who are less than, who may not look like, who you think they need to look like, who may not have the degrees on the wall. See? Come on now, church. God is sending you to a place to be taught. And what he's teaching and who's teaching is not the person that you think needs to be teaching. See, that, that school that God, God is sending to you is not, is not found on a mountaintop. It's not in a place where you thought it was going to be. It's in a valley. The things that God wants you to learn and to draw out of you in such a way is not learned on top of a mountain. mountain. It's in those valleys. The lessons that God has for you and I will be developed and discovered in a valley. So God, why? Why am I going through this? Why am I going through this in my job? Why am I going through this in my relationship? Why am I going through this with my kids? Why am I experiencing this, this trouble in my finances? God, why am I going through this situation? You may say, God, I can't catch a break. Like, my God, like, we just, something just happened last week. Something just happened yesterday, but God, there's something still sitting at my doorstep today. What is the lesson that God is trying to teach you? I believe this, that God would send you victory, would send you, God would send you, let me rephrase this, that God would send you in a valley to teach you victory. Do you get that? That God would send you in a valley to teach you victory. Let's see, verse 2 says this. The Lord God said to Gideon, you have too many trips for me to hand, hand the Midianites over to them. Or as Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength have saved me. Guys, don't rob God of his glory. Too many of us rob God of his glory. It says this, Now announce to the troops, Whosoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave the Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back, and yet 10,000 remained. See, growing close to God may require that you may have to be willing to lose some things. Growing close to God may require you to lose some people. Growing close to God may require you to lose some friends. Growing close to God may even require you to lose your career. Right? Guys, um, about four years ago, I was working in a hotel company. A manager that was kind of subpar, you know, company or whatever. 
Let me recant that. The manager that I work for is just a phenomenal leader. She's just one of the greatest leaders that I had the opportunity to work with. I'm going to give her props. Her name is Pinky. She's sitting right over here. And God called me to lead and start planting a church. And I'm like, God, why are you calling me to plant a church at 43-ish? Like, I'm almost out of my prime. Like, who plants a church at 43, right? And God said, no, there's some things I need you to do because the things I have for you to do is greater than what you're doing right now. And I was, you know, wasn't comfortable in my career, but, you know, I was in a place where I was trying to really just fast-tracking what God was calling me to, to walk away from. Like, God had everything mapped out. I was going to come out to be a regional, do this and do that. God says, no. I need you to take a walk of faith. I need you to begin to start pulling away some things that I'm going to do things differently. And it may not look like what you think it's going to look like. But in that... There's power in your obedience. See, planting and growing closer to God requires a release of something. Right? You can't plant something if you're not releasing something. So we have to release something to do what God has called us to do. See, we release control of ourselves and give it to God. God is asking for you to let go and let God. See, God prunes so that way we can grow. He prunes so that way we can grow. We can grow in him, that we can grow in, in godly relationships, that we can grow in the things that God has called us to do. Verse 4 says this. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many troops. Take them down to the water, and I will test them if for, for you are there. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go, but... If I say to this one, he cannot go, he cannot go. Verse 5 says that, So he brought the troops to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog, and do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands and in their mouths was 300 men, and the rest of them, troops, knelt down to drink water. And what happened, God began to prune away for Gideon the things that he was kind of just relying on. So many things that we are relying for God on, but he's saying you haven't begun to prune. You haven't begun to clean house. So I'm trying to give you increase, but you need to go back and get rid of some things that I told you to let go a long time ago. I began asking my God, why did God choose this one over the other? Like, why did he choose the one that was lapping water or why weren't the one kneeling down? But then God showed me this. And this is a lesson that I've been living out for the past several months. I had to learn to listen to his voice over strategy. I want you to get that. For those who know me, I'm type A all day long. I had to learn to begin to listen to God's voice over strategy. And I'm trying to strategize growth, you know, growth matrix for the church. I'm trying to strategize, you know, Crystal, like Ryan, if I hear of growth matrix one more time, brother, the elders and our elders meet, we'd be sitting down like, Ryan, stop talking about growth matrix and what guys, you know, I'm like, just trust God. I'm like, I am trusting God in my growth strategy. 
Pray for me. You can't strategize what God is going to do in your life. It's called faith. God wants us to walk out everything in our lives by faith. So I don't know where you're at with your walk with Christ, but there's always going to be some testing points that God is asking you to do. There's going to be some things that God is going to test you to see if you're going to walk out faith in such a way that you're going to believe what he's going to do. Gideon went from 35,000 to 10,000 to 300 men. Why did God send 22,000 people away that was either afraid or just drinking water the improper way? And God showed me this. There's two type of people. The first person is the people who walk in fear and leave. They're like crippled. But then there's another person who may be fearful but still move forward. See, whatever we have before is a God is saying that, God, you know, you just have to trust me. Even though things don't look like you think they need to look like. We need faith to follow Jesus even when the numbers don't add up, even when our faith is, is camped at a place called fear. See, we need to rely on God so much in a way that when numbers don't add up, when people don't add up, when your bank account doesn't look like they need to lose, when your children may be acting crazy, when your spouse is acting crazy, you still need to move forward. And I believe this. You might want to write this one down. We are called to be faithful in the same direction, even if the results don't look like what we want. Let me say that one more time. We are called to be faithful in the same direction even if the results don't look like what we want. So many people leave their post prematurely. And God is saying, just wait. Even when things don't look like they need to look, God is saying, just wait. Even Gideon struggled with faith. If we were to go back in um, chapter 6, we we'll imagine beginning to see what Gideon was worried about. And we look at chapter 6 and we begin to see that Gideon, his enemies, were talking about him. Even the people that Gideon was going to come back against, the enemies were fighting, that, that Gideon was going to fight against, the enemies were already talking about him. Sometimes the enemy is saying something about you is greater than what you see in yourselves. That person that's on your job, who's fearful, they know, your, they know your potential. That's why they're saying things about you. That's why they may be slandering you. That's why they want your job. That's why they know who you are. If the enemy can see greatness in you, why can't you see greatness in yourself? If our adversary can see greatness in us, why can't you see greatness within yourself? Watch this. Verse 17 says this. Watch me, he said, and do what I do. When I come to the outpost of the camp, do as I do. When I, when I and everyone else blow your trumpets, 
and you're also to blow your trumpets around the camp, then you will say for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon tell his troops, you do what I do, and you say what I say. So Gideon and his troops, they begin to mount up and begin to fight this battle. They did what he did. They clap your hands when I clap. We pray when we pray. We react when the way that we react, and that's what God is calling us to do as believers. See, this Bible tells us that we're supposed to be in his word daily, that we should meditate on his word day and night. But Gideon gets to a place on verse 19, and I love this. Gideon and the hundred men who were with them went to the outpost of the camp. They blew their trumpets, and they broke the pitchers that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and shattered the pitchers. They held their torches in the left hands and the trumpets in the right hand and shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each Israelite took his position around the camp, and the entire Midianite army began to run. They cried out, and they fled. When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their own swords. See, God's math does not add up at all. Gideon's praise confused the enemy. Your praise confused the enemy. And so as we begin to look at this whole series about spiritual warfare, I want you to realize this. I want you to start with the end in mind. I want you to begin to realize that we win. Go back into the book of Revelation. You will see specifically that he tells us that if your book is not written in the book of life, that you are not a part of, part of Christ and everyone else be put into the lake of fire. Because we have received Christ's blood upon our lives, we win. So if you start with that in mind, knowing that you win, you are more than conquerors. And even in that posture, when you go down to fight the enemy, that you are fighting the enemy, that you carry a torch, which is the light of God in one hand, and then you carry your, your praise in the other hand, that you even through the midst of going through the fighting that you have to do, that you're going to praise God anyhow. Amen. That when you are standing before your enemy, your adversary, whatever the battle that you are facing, that just know that you are praising God and that yet you're still fighting. First Thessalonians tells us this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are still alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is such a beautiful picture to know that we will be caught up one day with Christ Jesus. And so as we wrap up this Mother's Day Sunday, I want to remind you today that you must have a posture of worship even while you are facing your adversary. That even in the midst that you are camped at a place called fear, that your enemies may be teaching you something that you have victory in the valley. And lastly, that God is calling you to a place called safety. We're safe in our master's arms.
we are safe when we know that we are leaning in the scriptures in such a way that God can do great things with broken people. So as our worship team make their way up to the stage today, I am reminded that we have to speak victory in every situation. And as we speak victory, Psalms 108 tells us this, verse 13. With God we gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that, and having disarmed the powers of the authorities, he had made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, Christ on the cross, we gain victory. Even in where we're, God is calling us to do great and mighty things for him. That we have to speak victory as we fight our battles. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this. For everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even through our faith. And so today... I'm asking you to be faithful in the same direction that God has led you, regardless of what the results is not what you think it's going to look like. So as we stand today, this is week two of our spiritual warfare series. Next week, we'll be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and what it does to aid us the week after that, we'll talk about spiritual warfare through generational curses. And so that way you can fully know what you have to do to begin to have victory over those generational curses. And so today, mothers, we want to celebrate you and all that you have done for us, that you have taught us how to remain faithful in the moments where we wanted to be faithless, that our grandmothers and our moms and our aunts has walked with us in such a way they taught us how to become victorious. And so moms today, we thank you, we salute you for doing what you only can do. So let me pray as we begin to speak victory in those areas that you may be dealing with. Could just know that we win. Thank you for listening to audio from One Church. If you made a decision of any kind today or would like to learn more about what your next step is, visit onechurchnc.net. If you are local to our campus, claim your visit online at onechurchnc.net slash visit.